This episode brought in part by Serverless Guru and made possible by the ever-growing and passionate Serverless community. Whether you're just starting your serverless journey, halfway through migrating your entire legacy system, or are an AWS hero, Serverless Guru can help you migrate, build applications, and train your team on best practices. With a team of front-end, back-end, and full-stack cloud developers, Serverless Guru can get you where you want to be. Welcome to the Talking Serverless Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Jones, joined today by Philip Pyrek, an AWS serverless architect and full-stack TypeScript developer at Purple Technology. They help develop software for fintech com- companies, and Philip is an AWS community builder as well. How are you doing today, Philip? Yeah, I'm doing perfect. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. Yeah, no, absolutely. So to kind of get into this, just right off the back, we're here about mid-year. Uh, how has 2021 been so far for you? Uh, yeah, I think it's been really good. We we have hired a lot of people at Purple Technology, and uh, we are growing even more. And we have some exciting plans. I have moved into a position of uh, of the one who is going to build a serverless platform team at Purple Technology. So very exciting stuff coming up. That's fantastic. And to get into that a little bit more, when it comes to your background and getting into serverless and what you do at Purple Technology, do you mind giving us like a full, you know, timeline about how you got started in tech, what, how all that stuff kicked off, um, and then how it got to where you are today? Yeah, basically, I started like programming when I was like twelve, and uh, I was doing some uh, high school projects with friends. And uh, when I was 18, I got a message from Purple Technology where I would like to join them. And um, I said, okay, I like this. I like fintech and it seems very interesting. So I got in at Purple Technology. First, I was um, I was probably hired like someone who is going to do the stuff that seniors uh, are tired of. And quickly uh, it showed up that... Uh, I know quite a lot of stuff. So uh, back then I was doing some uh, projects of mine and I used AWS Lambda because it was something new. And uh, it was like four years ago. And uh, then when I saw what we are doing at Purple Technology with like serverful applications in Node.js, I was like, okay, let's move to the, to the serverless. Let's try it out, guys. Come on. And uh, yeah, that's how it started with serverless like four years ago. No, that's amazing. And I also saw there was a company you listed uh, that I believe you founded called Inventorus. Is that the way that you pronounce that? Yeah, that's true. That was an, uh, an app uh, which uh, which was uh, supposed to be like, um, let's say, uh, um, UPS for Steam items. Uh, when was their uh, CSGO back then? People were trading and gambling with all those items there. And uh, we decided with a friend of mine that there is a, there is a market opportunity for providing like the basically a payment system, but instead of cash, you would use the items as a transfer medium. So yeah, we developed that, and then we sold that for for some bitcoins back then. And um, uh, yeah, that was a really awesome, right? And there we tried AWS and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, that was awesome. And since then, I was also somehow interested in cryptocurrency, uh, etc. 
Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, I, I had a, um, I played CSGO for a while and I had a business playing World of Warcraft and doing like uh, 2v2 carries and stuff. And then I would play with somebody, we would win and they'd pay me through PayPal and all that. Um, and then switched to CSGO and I was doing that whole like, maybe I could be a professional gamer type of thing. Um, but I always loved playing like poker and things like that. And so it's funny, I was when I was reading your thing and I saw the, I started reading into the company and, and, and what they did and the Steam APIs and all that stuff. Uh, I saw the connection back to the CSGO gambling. Uh, and I, I remember playing CSGO and then having the skins and guns and all that stuff and then putting it onto like a gambling site <laughs> and then playing, you know, poker and all that stuff for fun. And uh, that's so cool that you're involved in that. And you, you use serverless way back then to kind of construct some of that stuff. Um, because it was, I'm sure you know, it was, it was very chaotic. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was very chaotic. And that's why we left the space, basically. Yep, yep. Awesome. Um, and so was that the first time that you got started with, with serverless? Or how did that correspond to learning like Lambda and all that stuff? Yeah, the, f- the thing was that uh, it was a student's project. So we were trying to find some way how to how to save money. And uh, serverless was a very nice tool for that because um, you pay only for what you use. And uh, that was exactly what we were looking for back then. Back then, I think we didn't even use some any any like serverless framework. We had just some scripts which were like zipping and deploying stuff. It was wild back then. That's awesome. Um, and then you said that you started working at Purple Technology around like eighteen years old. How was yeah. how was that? Um, I read on the Purple Technology site. I think I saw you listed there, and they listed you as like uh, one of the youngest people that knows the most about serverless in like Europe or something. So how how did that whole journey? Uh, you know, take place. Uh, yeah, it was really like amazing. The proper technology itself, the company uh, is um, sort of a freedom company. So it gives a lot of freedom to people. And uh, because there were, the company was quite small when I joined. Uh, let's say there were like um, 50 people. Uh, and in like the developers were like four or five people. And um, that also meant a uh, big uh, big possibility to implement new stuff, change things, etc. So it was really sort of an incubator for our ideas and uh, this kind of stuff. So uh, that really gave me ability to like try stuff and uh, push things which might not uh, go through in other companies. So that was really awesome and that's why and that's how the serverless got in. And now, like all our production is running on it, yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing in the the note that you sent over was that uh, y'all started in fall of 2017, starting to work with serverless, uh, serverless and step functions and all that stuff. And you said that uh, right now you're at like 90 percent, and you're trying to get to 100 percent total uh, being serverless. How is the challenge of moving a company that maybe was pre-existing, not serverless, to serverless? Um, and what type of things did you encounter? Yeah, uh, we started using step functions. That was the main, main, uh, main argument when I was uh, trying to push it, uh, because we are in a fintech space and we have a lot of complex business logic, and uh, that's exactly what we were looking for. These we can see the diagrams of the business logic. We can see the different executions in which state they are, and uh, that was the main, uh, uh, main killer, and. Um, Type of challenges. Uh, let me think. Um, well, there was a lot of stuff. 
uh, the main challenge is that we are we are not able to hire like serverless engineer or serverless developer. We always need to hire like full stack developer, for example, TypeScript developer, and we need to teach him everything. So that's quite a challenging thing in terms of the onboarding and the growth. And uh, also back then we had to learn everything uh, ourselves. Like we didn't have any AWS expert or anything like that. And because I was the one who brought it up, I was the one who was learning and I, I love it. I love to like dig deeper into AWS and all the services and thinking like how we can interconnect interconnect all the services and stuff. So uh, that was really awesome. Yeah, and we are carrying that on. And the biggest challenge right now is, again, how to grow in terms of processes, people, and the know-how in terms of serverless. Yeah, no, I think that that's probably exactly what we're facing too. I think that that's been the, the hardest thing since serverless guru started was how do we hire people in that have enough experience? And we kind of went that same route a lot of times. We're like, okay, if you have a full stack development experience and you've heard about serverless, and if you can pass our code challenge and you can learn how to do some of the stuff that we're doing at that level, you'll be surrounded by people that you know will have resources that people can use and plug into. And a lot of times it's just knowing the information exists. And then a lot of times developers know how to pursue it. But yeah, hiring processes, all those things, um, and it seems like I'm hopeful that now that we're moving into like 2021, middle of the year, that some of these problems around just the number of people in the space that know how to do this stuff is going to uh, keep increasing and so it'll be easier. But uh, I saw in the note that you said that in 2017, it was a team of four and then it went to 15. What was it like? Uh, did you have to convince people to use serverless at the very beginning? Um, did you have to train people yourself and how did y'all develop material internally potentially like what did what did that process look like for getting other people on the team you know onboarded and and uh you know scaled up with serverless yeah basically we as the seniors were convinced that okay serverless that's the way we want to go because we were developers who didn't really want to uh, mess with operations and we didn't want to hire like any operations guy so that was also a big a uh, big thing for us, this zero operations, almost, <laughs> as we discovered later. And uh, yeah, we had to basically teach everybody like how to how to approach it. One thing was uh, developing the existing infrastructure or developing on existing infrastructure. That was quite okay and easy. But uh, teaching people like how to design and how to think serverless uh that's uh that was another challenge and we are still facing it and it's about like talking discussing explaining all around and um also because of that reason we started to uh publish a new articles on our blog uh which serves on one one hand um as sort of like uh, pr as for all the companies, but on the other hand, we realized that it's really our internal documentation, documentation basically, uh, because um, those are the resources that our people need. Because uh, there are not many, there are a lot of resources for like how to hook a Lambda function to API gateway, but that's like okay, that's four years ago maybe where we were, but now we are having monorepo. 300 plus lambdas in one big project hundreds of thousands of lines of uh, typescript code and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and we need to figure out how to how to maintain all that 
Yeah, no, this is really interesting. So there's like one thing you said there, which is how to think serverless. Do you mind giving me like an idea and the audience an idea for what does that mean to you? Like when you say think serverless, how could somebody uh, potentially think serverless or what would it look like if they weren't thinking serverless? Yeah, I think it's mostly about um, interconnecting the, the existing AWS services and uh, keeping in mind that um, everything needs, should be event-driven and um, it should eventually be able to scale down to zero. And ideally, everything should be manageable as infrastructure as code. That's the main point for us. We want everything to be infrastructure as code. That's very important. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. It's 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 interesting to think about that. Um, that the, the way that things were done previously. I, I did a I did a, a job a while back where I was um, on an operations team at a gigantic health company, health insurance company, and I was helping them take like 200, 300 servers and then try to eliminate them. And there was like no documentation about what they were. There was no tags. It was just a whole bunch of black boxes. And this is like pretty early on in my career. Um, and the way that they were creating those was just like manually in the console. They just click a button, spin it up, and then they'd, somebody would go into it, run a whole bunch of commands. Nobody had those written down. <laughs> and so the it's idea crazy. that I now it's like... It was it was a it was a whole thing. It took about eight months for me to finally <laughs> get that project wrapped yeah. up and then out of there. Um, but it was like it was you know it, that that was what it was previously, right? Like the yeah. idea previous to need an infrastructure code, you just run some commands offhandedly, and then hopefully that still keeps working into the future, which we know it won't. Um, and then yeah, you have all these downstream problems. So that's cool that y'all went after the idea of like don't mess with operations stay focused on development because y'all didn't already have, it sounds like existing operations people at the company. Do you think that that helped accelerate the, uh, the usage of serverless? Mm, yeah, well, I think so. Yeah. Because otherwise maybe they would uh, try to convince us that uh, Kubernetes is better for us. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Have you had like, uh, any, any conversations around that, like Kubernetes versus serverless? And I couldn't, I, Personally, I can't imagine like the idea from going from serverless to Kubernetes, but I'm not sure what your experience has been. Yeah, well, um, I'm not sure whether I had some serious conversation with anybody about that, but I was thinking about it. And uh, I think that uh, basically we can say that um, uh, thanks to Kubernetes, we can have serverless, right? So uh, I think it definitely has its use. And uh, but if if I can choose, I would definitely prefer serverless because uh, I have less costs in terms of operations and in terms of uh, of development because it's much more effective and uh, efficient. So definitely no hate going to Kubernetes. Yeah, totally. I've had this conversation before around like the because we're building a lot of abstractions every single day, the, the, the crypto uh, development space as well, like blockchain space is also building tons and tons of abstractions. Serverless fully managed, lots of abstractions. When the way, the way that you said the Kubernetes part there is it can almost enable serverless uh, stuff. It's more maybe that lower level uh, end of it. Uh, is that how you would kind of describe it? Is like it has its place, but it's uh, potentially more like the lower level infrastructure that supports all the abstractions above it? Yeah, totally agree with that. Okay, awesome. Um, and then 
getting into some more stuff on this, it sounds like your team's scaling out at Purple Technology. Uh, are y'all hiring currently? What what type of uh, work would somebody like working alongside you at Purple Technology? What would they what would they work on? Yeah, definitely. Uh, at Purple Technology, we are uh, creating a software for uh, forex trading brokers, which are uh, global companies. Uh, it's like several of them, and uh, basically, we are doing something like let's say uh, internet banking, where people. Uh, through the web application through which people are wiring their money, they are managing them, etc. And we are also planning to build a React Native application. And uh, basically, we are developing all that in TypeScript and, uh, of course, serverless. And basically, we are based in Brno. So we would prefer uh, people to be in Brno or at least to attend Brno like uh, several times a month. But if there is some really good fit, uh, we can uh, we can have individual discussion with people. Yeah, so definitely, if uh, anyone is interested in, in doing serverless and in fintech industry, let me know on the Twitter and we can uh, sort it out. Awesome. Yeah, and we'll make sure to have that information posted everywhere as well. Um, if y'all missed the the picture that Philip posted earlier across social media, I think it was your setup, which was oh yeah, pretty pretty insane. What, what was the? Uh, it had like a big audio mixer. It looked like is that what that was? Oh yeah, yeah, that is a big audio mixer. But uh, the thing is that I have a friend who is DJ, and uh, I told oh, him, nice. okay, some man, I need some uh, some stuff for podcast, and he said, okay, I have the things you need. So I said, okay, that's going to be perfect then. So far, so good. Yeah, amazing. Um, I think you told me right before we started that you're working on it for a bit. Did it take a while to get set up with all that? Yeah, he helped me to set everything up, and I just turned it on, and yeah, it seems to work work fine. Nice, Mac. Awesome, awesome. Um, and then yeah, then getting into some of the stuff like, what is your what do you think about? Uh, I've had conversations before around like learning in public. The idea that you learn something, you put it out there. It sounds like your internal docs are now becoming blog articles. How, do, how does that align with potentially how you operate? Do you, do you follow that kind of mantra of when you learn something, try to put it out there in public uh, and share it back to the community? Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, uh, we would love to do that uh, more than we do now. Of course, the, the thing is that uh, all these stuff... Um, have lower priority than uh, filling up the business requirements, right? Because we need to live off something. But uh, we are definitely um, open to uh, sharing more and contributing more to community. Uh, we are also planning to do some uh, meetups here in Brno uh, regarding AWS or serverless and stuff like that. And uh, we definitely want to push more the the blog articles and uh, because in order to be able to grow, we need more uh, tooling and more like um, framework and frameworks and these kind of stuff. And um, so far, it doesn't seem that uh, there are any solutions out there. So we might need to also build it ourselves. And of course, we will make it open source. Yeah, actually, too, I saw that, that question in your note as well, is that you said, I think that... Um management of serverless applications forces us to solve this stuff ourselves because the community may not have solved it maybe that exact way yet. 
it sounds like those are product ideas that you're kind of like riffing right there. Um, is that something that y'all are trying to do as well? Reparable technology is, is like uh, build stuff for the open source or build stuff as like a separate, you know, rollout. Yeah. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? How did that whole thing come about? Yeah, we will definitely build some open source tools like under purple technology and uh, maybe even there might be some software as a service tooling uh, coming up from us. Uh, yeah, but we shall see about those. Uh, but definitely everything we can, we will do open source and we hope it will help community and we will also try to make it um, as universal as it as is possible for everybody to use it. It's quite interesting that uh, I also saw it in some discussion in AWS Community Builders Slack that uh, people were mentioning that uh, there is sort of an um, information vacuum about uh, like building bigger serverless projects. And uh, yeah, I think it's very, very, very sad. And uh, we want to fix that. And uh, also um, what comes in hand with that is that the tooling is missing. So that's what we, where we want to contribute. Yeah, no, it's really a, it's really a thing. If I'm understanding it correctly, from my experience, it's like I think I saw you post on maybe LinkedIn about this as well. Like the lots of like hello world type of content, but not a lot of more like deep things that require like advanced knowledge. And I've always struggled with this myself when it comes to like writing articles or making content. Um, is that I always feel like I have to kind of like cater to the newest person reading the content, and so it requires that. It requires a lot of energy to explain the the basic foundation concepts or to point those out or give that direction. And as you get more and more advanced in a specific topic, it becomes harder to make those links for the reader because it takes away from the main content. Is that kind of what you're describing there? Um, yeah, sort of. I think it's it's obvious that first to have the the seniors, you need to have juniors, right? So... It makes sense that uh, there is a lot of uh, basic serverless content uh, for beginners, uh, but I think it's becoming a time that we start uh, producing some some more advanced um, blog posts and uh, and content. I completely agree. And then I saw something that you wrote recently about AppSync subscriptions. I think it was uh, things that maybe you learned about AppSync subscriptions when, when using it. Um, when it comes to building APIs now, are you more in the AppSync camp or an API gateway, or do you still kind of mix both together? Yeah, basically we are mixing both, but uh, for the applications, mainly we are using AppSync because we think that GraphQL is uh, is much better than REST uh, itself. But of course, in some cases, we are using we are using REST, but maybe I would call it rather HTTP endpoints because we are not really using it as a REST uh, as it should be, but just as an endpoints. So, yeah, we are mixing both, uh, but uh, what we can, uh, we are putting to AppSync, definitely. Awesome. What are your thoughts on EventBridge? Oh, yeah, I love that. When we saw that it's uh, rolling out, we were we were amazed and excited uh, because uh, we have a lot of use cases for that. Uh, a lot of things are happening inside our systems, and, um, and a lot of uh, other systems would like to react to it. And Event Bridge is exactly what we were missing there. We were trying to substitute it with uh, SNS, uh, but Event Bridge is uh, really what we were looking for. So. That's awesome. 
Yeah, no, we've started using that on a lot of our projects as well at Serverless Guru across across clients. It's been very interesting to see the kind of maturity there of thinking through like you have all these events coming through and like how do you filter them and make sure that there's like a centralized way to control it uh, where it's not just like, you know, all over the place. Something that's been happening recently, um, maturity requires additional features being released, things like that. Has it been more difficult using something like Lambda now with like the maybe the best practice for, let's say, error handling or something like like just speaking um, about like error triggers that are happening now on Lambda or potentially like uh, dead letter queues uh, through like SQS. Like it seems like they've extended the functionality with like Lambda layers, Lambda extensions, all that stuff. But is it harder to find like a solid pass through it, like a best practice for it? Or do you think that that's just uh, natural and like uh, there's a lot of new features that are rolling out for AWS Lambda and other services like that. They, to a large degree for a long time, there was only maybe like one or two ways to do something. And now it seems like there's three or four or five different ways to do something. Are you struggling with that? Or have you seen other people struggling with that? Do you have any advice around that, around that specific uh, scenario? Yeah, well, um, I think it's good to give people... Um more uh, choices how to do stuff Uh, but it might be good to have some let's say framework which will um, set some rules for the for the themes because uh, if you are designing something uh, some more more options might be better for you uh, so you can pick better but when you are building something uh, bigger inside a team uh, choosing a different option every time different person does the task uh, can create a mess. So uh, maybe this could be handled on some another layer or something like that, or maybe better documentation from AWS regarding the features. I don't know, but I don't really mind uh, all these new features, to be honest. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. It, it, like the way that you just uh, kind of said that reminds me of what we were just talking about earlier with those like 200 black box servers and you didn't know how people manually did it. Um, and you didn't know what commands they ran and you're trying to just like um, almost search through this this dirt trying to find like if there's something there that you can use. And it's not exactly the same because we still do have infrastructure as code. But I do like the idea of what you just kind of described around almost like a management tool where you have abstractions over all of these abstractions we're already using just to make it easier for people to make the right choice for the job. And if, you know, obviously... AWS has to document and create services that support, you know, hundreds of thousands of use cases, but potentially at a specific company, they only have to, you know, account for five or 10 different use cases. Totally agree. Makes sense. Awesome. And then something around the future, what do you, what do you see as uh, the future in the space? Uh, The next, like, do you think that CDK is going to keep getting adoption? Uh, do you think that we're going to move away from stuff to, towards CDK, TypeScript, EventBridge? What are your thoughts on on all that? Yeah, CDK really caught my attention uh, since we are developing everything in TypeScript. And uh, the thing is that I'm not sure whether it's good or bad to uh, write an infrastructure in a traditional uh, programming language. That's a question which we will just have to try and then we will have the experience and we, we will see. And, um, but I think uh, the future might be in uh, creating a tighter interconnection between infrastructure and infrastructure definition and the source code itself. 
So for example, when you want to write into some DynamoDB table, the framework or whatever it would be uh, would automatically like uh, pass the reference through the environment variable, through cloud formation and stuff like that. So yeah, I think um, we shall see some interesting uh, stuff coming up from CDK, especially after there is this, I'm not sure how it's called, the the integration which brings CDK into serverless framework that uh, that will make it really easy for people to adopt CDK. Yeah, no, that's, that's really interesting. One thing that you said uh, there was, I believe, tighter integration between infrastructure's code and the code, I guess, itself. Um, and it's a really good point. And it's it's something that, that I've thought about as well. And I'm sure a lot of people have thought about, like, when it comes to, let's say, like a DynamoDB stream where you have a Lambda attached to it, there's only a, a couple of things that that's, that event's going to do or pass. Um, and then it's it's a lot of the same type of logic, like filter the event, do something, send it somewhere else, right? And that both the the front side of that business logic and the back side of that business logic is not unique to the company or to the use case. Yeah, so that would be cool if people people started thinking more about that and potentially additional tooling and stuff was built around both understanding how the infrastructure is code and the standards that have been set by the cloud providers uh, play into the overall application development to make that e- that process easier. Yeah. Also, the thing cool. is that when developers uh, say, "Okay, I want to write to a DynamoDB table," but then they come to me and I need to explain, "Okay, so you need to uh, you need to update it here and here and here and there," and uh, then it starts to be quite messy. Uh, so. Yeah, it would be nice to have tighter uh, interconnection. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I guess we, we've seen a lot more picking up and adoption-wise is TypeScript. And at, at first, we didn't have that at Serverless Guru, and it's it's gained a lot in the past like six months, eight months, a uh, year or so. How, how do you view, because um, it sounds like you're very heavily into uh, TypeScript, and so how do you view that, that transition towards TypeScript? And do you... Do you think that that's kind of just the overall future? What kind of benefits? And I guess, could you give us like a pro and con of of if people should be using TypeScript for serverless? Yeah, well, um, if you want to build a bigger project, definitely TypeScript is a good choice because uh, you get the type safety, static type checking, and all this kind of stuff. And uh, of course, it requires you to write the types and um, all this kind of stuff. So for someone who like doesn't want to mess with all these features, let's say of TypeScript, uh, JavaScript might be better. But uh, me personally, I would never go back to JavaScript. What's a bit funny, what I see there is like, um, in, a, in a way, we've created the Java again, or, or, or something like that, you know, that uh, back then when the JavaScript was begin- was booming, uh, everybody was saying, okay, Java is ugly. It's uh, very complex, all the types and those kind of stuff. And like, okay, let's use, let's use JavaScript because it's easy. And uh, in a few lines of code, you get what you want. But uh, when we were start- starting to build a bigger and bigger and bigger project, we started to figure out that, okay, well, we need the types because otherwise we are lost and every change we make, we are risking that everything uh, will fall down. So. Yeah, I see the wisdom of the past, uh, why, for example, Java was so popular. And uh, uh, I think we are getting um, something similar back again. 
but I guess that's um, that's in the industry in general with like functional programming and all this stuff. So yeah, we shall see what comes up next. Yeah, that's a really cool way to say that. that it's, I haven't heard someone say that before, but yeah, it's, it definitely feels like sometimes we're re-entering like Java days. That's how I learned to program was, was on Java. Um, and then jumping to JavaScript is like the Wild West. And then now it's like, all right, guardrails, like... It's like, oh, I don't want to be in this box. I want to do whatever I want. You know, it's like, ah, oh, I have to follow the specific structure. And I guess like one thing that popped in my head there was, do you think that TypeScript fits better for like very well-defined projects? Is there ever times where you're trying to build like a proof of concept or maybe you don't fully understand the thing that you're trying to do, but you're going through that creative process of understanding it? In that case, would you be using something like JavaScript or would you you still opt for, for TypeScript in those cases? Well, uh, personally, I think it fits for uh, all the projects because um, since you have the type safety and the static type checking, it makes uh, makes your head uh, lighter because you don't need to think about all that stuff. So uh, I would definitely use it for a project of any size because, I mean, you can always use any, right? And uh, on those places where you are sure that, okay, this will be definitely returning string in all the cases. You just put it there and you are safe there and then you can just fix the rest of the code. So I would definitely go only for TypeScript. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, because it's like it's more than it's more than purely, you know, like the defining the types. There's also other built in functionality that comes along with it that uh, as you were mentioning, which allows you potentially to debug faster or avoid debugging in some cases. And like I like that way that you said it. It keeps your head light. And that's a really important part of having almost like that serverless mindset of like, let's offload the responsibility somewhere else so we can focus on the core things that matter to the product. So that's yeah, that's awesome. And uh yeah, like as we're as we're starting to get to a point uh to wrap up here, um, are there any topics that maybe we didn't talk about already that maybe you want to bring up yourself that we could dive into? Well for example, one thing could be that uh, I was quite surprised, like uh, how many community builders are in US compared to Europe. So I think we need to focus on uh, evangelization here in Europe. And um, other than that, I I think we've been through everything. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, no, it's cool. I've seen that the community. I think it's uh, AWS Heroes. Um, the last segment of people, I believe, were like one person in the US and then everyone else was from a different country or location. That's the way that I understood it from their blog article that they released where they showed the profiles. I'm not sure if there was additional people that maybe weren't in that, but at least what they highlighted, it seemed like AWS is also thinking about that. Like how do we spread that across the entire world? Yeah, I versus, think with Heroes is much yeah. better. Yeah. Okay. True. Yeah, that's awesome. And then for, for those who don't know the community builder program, what kind of benefits do you get out of being involved in that community? Uh, yeah, first of all, we get uh, everyone gets to Slack where we can discuss basically everything we have on mind regarding AWS. Uh, you can There are also experts from AWS, so you can discuss it also with them and with the rest of the community. Uh, There's one important benefit. Other important benefit is uh, that we get uh, we get to see the, for example, the the products which uh, might not have been yet released or that uh, some features have not yet be, been released. Unfortunately, we cannot share those because they are under NDA, but uh, 
it's very interesting to see like where it's going. And uh, yeah, we get, for example, the vouchers for for certifications. We get uh, AWS credits uh, and yeah, stuff like that. And I think it's very awesome to be there. And uh, I would recommend everybody to submit and uh, try to participate. Awesome. Yeah, definitely give the exact same advice. Definitely submit and get involved. It's an awesome community um, of people from all around the world and hopefully more outside of the U.S. Uh, coming up, uh, which I'm sure AWS will hear this and they will they will listen to that feedback. Um, and then you mentioned that uh, Purple Technology around like blogs and meetups. And do you have anything personally or with Purple Technology that's coming up that you want to kind of promote to the audience? Definitely, if there's anyone from Central Europe, uh, some serverless expert, let us know. Uh, we would be interested in some cooperation. And uh, other than that, um, I guess uh, follow me on Twitter. I will be posting there uh, our new open source software and our problems and issues and blog posts. And I will be definitely looking forward to to your replies and um, to discussion there. So that's it for me. All right. Awesome. Well, then let's uh, let's wrap up and uh, let's call that a podcast episode <laughs> complete. Um, thanks for being on, Philip. It's been great to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, to those listening, this has been the Talking Serverless Podcast with Ryan Jones. If you like our show and want to learn more, check out talkingserverless.io or you can leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast if you found this content valuable. And of course, join us next time as we sit down with another fantastic guest. 